And as always, we'd like to thank our partners, Firebird Rising and the beautiful game network, BGN. You can go to their websites to see more of their content at firebirdrising.coreair, that's K-O-R-R-A-I-R.com, or at bgn.fm. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Rising is One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns here with Jeff Went. Matt Trainer was out on vacation this week and now he's working. So it's just going to be us two this time. Uh, life happened. We couldn't get on yesterday, but here we are now. Better late than never. And in great spirits because of this awesome win we just had. Yeah, great, great win by the boys this week. Great effort. Uh, we, we definitely saw something different from the guys this week. And... Uh, uh, huge three points as we move forward uh, heading into this big part of the schedule coming up. We're going to get to some real highlights pretty fast because for once we started strong. Yes, we did. Yeah, let's let's get into let's get into the first half of action. Uh, you know, a few changes we saw in the lineup this week. It's great to see Carl Wazinski get a start in net this week. Uh, you know, Phoenix Rising fans have, have longed to love Carl and his play. And you know, granted, Josh has supplanted Carl as the number one guy, but but great great to see Carl you know get a start out of this week's game. Uh, great to see that the back line was the same as it was last week against San Antonio. Uh, you know, a couple changes in the middle. We saw, you know, the introduction of Alessandro Rigi back into the lineup starting on the left-hand side, and we'll talk about his play as we get into this game as well. Uh, get to see Blair Gavin uh, sitting in the back with, with Matt Watson. Uh, saw Chris Cortez get a start uh, up front. Saw Didier Drogba drop back into a midfield role, which is an interesting move, and then uh, seeing Sean Wright Phillips uh, get a start. So I, I, I think we finally started seeing pretty much most of the lineup that we've all kind of been clamoring for for weeks. So obviously the first 10 minutes of the match, while you know while L.A. had most of the hold of the play, uh, you know Phoenix Rising had much more productivity out of what little possession they did have. I mean start right off the bat Drogba had you know had a dangerous free kick for LA right in the eighth minute hit the wall but for the most part they may have held the play held the possession of play but for the most part Phoenix was making the most of what they had and obviously making the most of what they had came in the 13th minute I mean what a strike by Didier Drogba you you know, you see him take these free kicks, and you're thinking, oh, 35 yards out, he's not going to hit it. What a solid strike. What a dip on the ball that Clement Diop could not get to. I mean, world-class strike makes Sports Center's top ten that night. I mean, you cannot ask for a more phenomenal goal than that. No, I, I 100% agree. Um, I was kind of following this match every 5-10 minutes or so, checking out Twitter because I was at a party that night. And uh, the moment I saw that goal and I saw that gif, I'm, I'm giving my phone to everyone. I'm like, you guys need to see this goal. I don't even know if you're a rising fan. I don't even know if you care about soccer. You need to see this goal. And uh, 
you know, people reacted the way I was hoping they would. It was incredible. Um, put me in a great mood for the rest of that evening. Um, you know, usually we're the ones getting scored on inside the first 15 minutes, so to have it go our way for once, I kind of didn't know how to react, honestly. It was, uh, it was like walking on cloud nine. We're ahead by one in the first 15? Is this real life? Um, but that's those are the moments that you uh, relish when you sign a guy like Drogba. Uh, he can still blast it from distance with the best of them. So, yeah, just incredible. Yeah, that it was. You know, and, and, and the play continues after Drogba's goal. He gets another free kick in the 20th that goes just wide. Cortez comes back a minute later and, and gets a header that just goes over the top of the net. Another five minutes later, Sean Wright Phillips lays a great ball to, to Gavin that gets saved by Diop. Rigi gets into the game and shoots just wide two minutes later. I mean, just the action continues and continues and continues. And even though it's not possession-based, it's quick counters, it's moving the ball, it's doing what they need to do. And that's that's something we have not seen for weeks out of this club. And it was so refreshing to see them play this type of, of game on Saturday night. And you know, while we're you know while you know while we you know stop here at the at this moment talking about you know we're thirty minutes in and we're getting chance after chance after chance. Let's talk about Alessandro Rigi and what he meant. And let's talk about not just what he meant, but let's talk about an interesting move at this point. That I don't know if it was Patrice that saw this or if it was Brick Schantz that saw this, but all of a sudden you saw Alessandro Rigi who started on the left switch with Sean Wright Phillips and and ended up going to the right and and his going to the right made a huge difference in this game all of a sudden all of a sudden Rick and and Patrice saw something and made it work to perfection just beautiful Talk about smarts. As soon as he switched Rigi to the right, it was game over for L.A. Because you just saw Rigi take advantage of, of the right, you know, of that of that defensive back and just went nuts for the rest of the night on him. Yeah, do you want to get into a couple of those chances? I mean, everyone still remembers the second goal just before halftime and the yeah. dance that accompanied it. Um, but why don't why don't you take us through some of the other chances he created on that right side? Because the announcer noted right after the goal that he was victimizing that defender all night long. Yeah, I mean, you talk about. I mean, we talked about the the the, the shot just wide in the 29th. He comes back on the, in the 38th and gets another shot on goal. I mean, and then even 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 between that, Sean Wright Phillips had a beautiful shot in the 31st that was denied by Clement Diop. I mean. Diop having to make saves left and right in this game. You know, Rigi, Rigi in the 38th tried to put, get a little nice cheeky chip, you know, on the back post for Drogba, and Diop grabbed that one. You know, Rigi had a run in the 42nd that was denied right at the box by a couple defenders, but the, just the fact that he was making that run, causing problems for that right defensive back was, you know, was a big issue. And then obviously the big, you know, the big goal on the 45th makes that beautiful run, splits the defender, splits Diop, 
goes low to the to his right hand side into the back of the net and you can't ask for a better way to get to the end of the first half but having a two nothing lead you really can't and um this is why Rigi coming back into the lineup is so important he gives us that spark that spark that we need to get a second goal and give us some breathing room and really ease the pressure on the defense in that second half because without Rigi this is the kind of game where we're holding on for dear life at 1-0 everyone is just 11 behind the ball trying to maybe get lucky on a Drogba free kick or a counter or something but we're really holding on for dear life and Rigi gives us that ability to keep pushing forward, keep looking for more, keep exploiting the defense. We get the goal, and that completely changes the complexion of the game, totally demoralizes Los Dos, who had been on a four-game unbeaten run before Saturday night. Uh, if we can see Rigi continue to make an impact like that, we are going to be shooting up the standings. And, you know, it really goes to show why people that were very in the know about this team, people like Monica McPherson, uh, some of the other hardcore LFR people who made it out to the game that night, um, are really excited to see Rigi back. It's undeniable the impact he makes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely noticeable when Rigi's on the field, when Rigi's not on the field, how, how pace of play totally changes. And, you know, to be able to spray balls wide and to know that you have somebody like Alessandro Rigi who can get out there to that ball. I even thought Sean Wright Phillips, you know, even though he went from starting on the left, switching over to, you know, starting on the right, switching over to the left, even he had the opportunity of getting balls that normally at times he doesn't really have the ability to chase down, but he was, I, I think having Rigi in the lineup really energizes players like a Sean Wright Phillips, like a Matt Watson, like a Chris Cortez. I think, I think Rigi adds something that maybe somebody like Drogba doesn't, or maybe somebody like Bravo doesn't. I, you know, I think that's how important Rigi being in the lineup is. And you really saw that in the first half of this game. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. Um, and he even continued it after halftime, but we'll get there right now. Yep. So we get into the second half. Obviously, right off the bat, Didier Drogba tries to take a run at it from distance, trying to catch Clement Diop off his line. But obviously, Diop was a little bit smarter to that than than what I think Didier even thought he was going to be. Uh, you know, Rigi comes back two minutes after that Drogba play and fires another shot on goal that Diop has to make a diving save on. I mean, just... Just the fact that he's opening space is, is, you know, a breath of fresh air to this club. You know, Sean Wright Phillips, a couple minutes later, finds some space. Now, he mishit he miss, miss his shot, but the matter that he's even finding space makes makes it more interesting. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips had a, had a nice ball in the 56 to Amadou Dia, and boy did Dia make a nice drive, and unfortunately he just couldn't finish it. Diop with a nice save on him there. Then you really get to the first chance all night that LA Galaxy has of mounting any offense, and that's in the 58th minute. Uh, Justin Dillon makes a drive on the play, uh, gets in deep in the defense, but the defense denies him. And then a minute later, uh, a bad misplay by Jordan Gibbons gets Vega in, the, in behind the defense. Um, Wazinski comes out and challenges the play. Uh, Vega tries to chip over 
over Wazinski. He gets a piece of it, knocks it over the crossbar for our corners. That was really the biggest chance that L.A. had in this whole match. And, you know, to see uh, Carl Wazinski come up big in that play uh, was huge. Um, we saw the introduction of A.J. Gray into the match uh, for Sean Wright Phillips in the 70th. Interesting move, but a good move. I think, you know, I think Sean's still trying to get a little bit back up to full fitness, obviously, after his, his injury that he had uh, a few weeks back. But, you know, I thought A.J. Gray did a, did a really good job uh, in his spot. Um, other than that, there you know, there really wasn't much other chances for Phoenix Rising. I think they were just trying to, to hold the fort and, and try to get the clean sheet at that point. Uh, you know, a couple of minor chances from L.A. late. Uh, Fuji had a shot that went wide, wide the 89th. Um, that was really the only scare at the end. Um, so, you know, Phoenix Rising finishes out the match in style. 2-0 clean sheet for Carl Wazinski. Great to see him get a clean sheet out of this. Does this start a goaltending controversy? Probably not. I think it gives uh, the team some good feelings as they go ahead on this road trip. And I think it gives them the positive outlook as you look ahead to their future schedule uh, when you go weeks down the road. Uh, when you when you're gonna have those those two games a week coming up, you know later in the season, that you can definitely rely on a Carl Wazinski to to just plop him in net, and that he would be uh, more than able to fill the spot that that Josh Cohen does. But you know, great effort overall by the team, great effort by the defense, and uh, you know, what what would you think of the the effort as a whole, Dominic? You know, I think this is the first match all season where I really can't point to anyone in particular or any part of our any part of our uh, performance as a team and say, you know what, that was something to improve on. All facets of our match were clicking. The offense scored. But even defense. Peter Ramage was looking really good, clearing balls out when he had to. Um, you know... We really limited their chances. I'm looking at the stats. They only had two shots on goal in the whole match. And even though they have all the possession, they really don't do much with it. They really didn't threaten us too much. Um, you know, in the midfield, we're able to exploit them and really hit them directly. Uh, it was great to see. And I know some people might look at those possession numbers and see uh, Los Dos with 68% possession. But again, it's kind of like our first half against Colorado Springs a few weeks back. If you're not doing anything with it, it doesn't matter. And we were very composed. And then we, I think we play at our best when we are a very direct team. Um, when we play more of that Atletico or Real Madrid style, where we're just trying to hit people on the counter, um, go straight for goal. I think the Atletico comparison is particularly apt because we do tend to score a fair number of goals on set pieces. We have some people that can hit them with the best of them. Uh, Rigi had a uh, Griezmann-esque celebration after his second goal. I think he was doing a uh, Hawaiian luau dancer, uh, but it was fun. Um, yeah, I mean, all around incredible performance. Waz gets a shutout. Rigi does incredibly in his first start since the injury. Again, I said Cloud9 before, and I'll repeat it. I mean, it was just unbelievable to see for a full 90 minutes us be on top of our performance, not slip up at any times. Because even in some of our wins, we've had moments where we slip up, 
moments where we have lapses. And uh, I think this is definitely something we can build on, especially in coming weeks. We play RGV, we play Orange County. These are very winnable matches. Yeah, I think the the buildup here, obviously, you know, a huge 2 nothing win you've got. To, and now you've got to take this into the second game of this road trip against Rio Grande Valley, who has not really been on a form of, of late. You know, let's let's talk about our opponent, you know, next week in Rio Grande Valley. An interesting, you know, an interesting uh, week for them, you know, pulling out a draw on Wednesday against Vancouver uh, and pulling that one out at the death, you know, nonetheless. And then, and then you go Sunday into, you know, interesting territory and and you beat at Seattle Sounders too I mean you know two interesting matches for them this week giving up six goals and coming away with four points you know for them was quite interesting but I mean I, I'm if I'm an RGV fan I'm not coming away from these matches very thrilled you gave up six goals in two matches over the last five matches they've conceded I believe 14 goals so they've they've conceded at least two goals in their last five, and you know somehow they were able to get a win on Sunday. I don't know if you had a chance to see those highlights, but the game tying and go ahead goals for RGV were mishit crosses. I kid you not, they were mishit crosses from ridiculous angles that just went in the goal. I don't even think the guys were trying to shoot it in, but they went in. Um, I mean, there's always the possibility that we can you know come out very lethargic as we did against Swope, as we did against Tulsa. But if we show up, there are goals to be scored on this team. I mean, they are very vulnerable defensively, even going a little further back. They gave up three to Reno. They gave up six to Sacramento earlier in June. So this match is there for the taking, and I I think we just need to take it. Yeah, I agree. This is is definitely a point where we need need these points – um, obviously, granted, you know, we, we talk about this and we'll continue to talk and we continue to talk. We continue to talk. Yes, we have games in hand, you know, and obviously we make those up later. But the big point being we have got to take advantage of teams that are below us in the standings. We have we have so far, you know, here with, with you know, beating L.A., handling O.C. like we did, you know, getting a point with them. You know, taking care of what we need to take care of on you know ahead of us, you know that's going to be huge as we as we go ahead. Um, you know, we we can beat that dead horse till it till it ends in September, but until that point, you know these games that are coming up are are games that we definitely need to take advantage of. And a team that's somewhat down like RGV is, you know, we've got to take advantage of them now. Yeah, and, and maybe a couple other things to note. Uh, maybe a few names that are worth uh, keeping your ears open for come Saturday. Uh, you know, I'm trying to look at some guys. Uh, Joseph Holland scored a goal for RGB on Sunday. Um, Jose Escalante. They had two different goalkeepers in their last two matches, as is typical with a lot of MLS2 teams. They had Kaye Brown against Sounders, and they had... Um, Let's see, Marco Carducci against Vancouver, and neither one of them could keep many balls out of the net. So regardless of who they start, there are opportunities to be had. But that's just a few guys that you might want to keep your eyes out for come Saturday because this is a team that can score in bunches. Yeah, 
couple other players to watch too. Ruben Luna, Kyle Murphy, both lead the team in goal scoring uh, with four goals. Uh, you talked about Holland and Escalante. They each have three on the season. Um, so those are, those are some guys to watch there. Uh, Justin Bailiu, uh leads the team in assists with, with four on the season. Uh, Kyle Murphy, obviously one of their big shot guys, and along with Escalante, they both have uh, uh, lead the team in shots on goal. So those are, those are a couple guys to watch there. So Let's get into the scores and standings for this week. Going back uh, at the beginning of the week on Monday, Real Monarchs and Tulsa played to a nil-nil draw. Uh, Wednesday, we had Orlando and Harrisburg playing to a, n- a nil-nil draw. Uh, an interesting result that affected Phoenix Rising, obviously middle of the week. Oklahoma City beat Reno one nothing on an Angulo goal in the 62nd minute. That ended up uh, being big, as, as we'll, you'll see in the standings in a little bit. Um, L.A. had beaten Orange County, which was a big win for, you know, for Phoenix Rising as far as the Sandys was concerned Wednesday. Uh, Ro Fuji with a goal there to, to beat Orange County. And we obviously talked about the Vancouver 3-3 result with Rio Grande here just a minute ago. Uh, Saturday's games uh, was New York 2, Richmond 1. It was Toronto 1, Charleston nothing. It was Pittsburgh 1, Richmond 1. It was Charlotte over Louisville, three to one. Uh, FC Cincinnati and Orlando tied two two. Bethlehem beat Ottawa two to one, and Tampa Bay beat Harrisburg three nothing. Those were all games in the East on Saturday. Uh, games of importance in the West on Saturday it was Colorado Springs with a big four one win over Portland Timbers two. Uh, it was goals by Suggs, Malcolm, Freighter, and Catcher for Colorado Springs. Um, it was an own goal that, that gave T2 its goal on the, on the night. And the interesting thing about, uh, that match was, uh, the play of goaltender, uh, Puati, who, uh, came up with two big penalty kick saves. So if anybody's going to challenge somebody like Carl Wazinski for player, you know, for goaltender of the week this week, it might, it might be. It might be Puati. It might be Puati that, that does it this week. Uh, Oklahoma City gets another big win on Saturday. It was a 2 nothing win over Real Monarchs, at the top, who's at the top of the table. Uh, a Dixon brace uh, gives, gives Oklahoma City three big points against somebody at the top of the table, not something that, that uh, Phoenix Rising necessarily needed. Uh, as we'll look at the standings in a minute. I mean, talk about Oklahoma City really coming from the dead for a second because, you know, I would say maybe six weeks ago, maybe two months ago, they were out in 11th or 12th place. They had just lost a home Oklahoma Derby to Tulsa. They were looking really down and out on it. But I think ever since they got that win against us, they've started to turn things around. They get a big draw against San Antonio a few weeks back on ESPNU. And then a huge win against Real Monarchs. And here's a little fun fact. Monarchs now 0-2 in matches in Oklahoma this season. And I don't know if they've lost any other ones. So <laughs> just a fun little thought. Maybe maybe stay out of Oklahoma for the rest of the season if you're yeah. a Real fan. But That might be a good idea. <laughs> uh, St. Louis and Swope Park Rangers had played to a nil-nil draw. 
Uh, it was San Antonio and Orange County playing to a 1-1 draw. It was an early goal from Chris Terpak uh, to get San Antonio the early lead, but it was Van Uick at the death for for Orange County scoring in the 95th to give to save Orange County from losing points and picking up a, a big point that they really uh, needed as they go forward in their schedule this week. And this was an interesting match because San Antonio apparently on the wrong side of a controversial iffy penalty kick call. How does it feel? <laughs> uh, gotta lo- gotta love that. Uh, another action Saturday. It was uh, Reno getting a three-two win over Tulsa. It was goals by Hoppenot, Kelly, and Weehan that got uh, Reno the three points there. And the last result on Saturday, uh, Sacramento beat Vancouver one nothing. It was a Hall goal in the 82nd on a penalty kick that got them the three points. And then obviously Sunday's result we talked about with Rio Grande Valley beating S two four to three on Sunday. So that wraps up week 22 of the USL season. And here are the standings of the Western Conference as we end week 22. It's RSL at the top, 15, three and three for 48 points. Then it's San Antonio in second at 11, one and eight for 41 points. Swope Park Rangers are third at 12, five and three for 39 points. Then it's Reno in fourth at nine, five and six for thirty-three points. Sacramento is in fifth, nine, six and four with thirty-one points. It's Colorado Springs in sixth, eight, eight and six for thirty points. Oklahoma City with the two big wins this week jumps up to seventh, eight, eight and five for twenty-nine points. And in the eighth spot right now is Tulsa, eight, nine and two for twenty-six points. Again, we talk about the top eight in the standings. All eight teams on top of the standings have played more games than Phoenix Rising at this point. We still have games in hand uh, between one and four games with all of these teams. Maybe one other thing, too, to keep in mind. We have not gone on that uh, Northwest trip. And the way it's looking, it's looking like Seattle 2, Vancouver 2, and Portland 2 are going to be three of the worst teams in the conference down the stretch. So a lot of those teams above us have played those three on the road already. We have not. We actually still have two more matches coming up against S2 and two more against Timbers 2. So we still have a lot of points that are going to be coming our way eventually. So we get into the bottom half of the table. At ninth is Orange County at 7-5-5 five five for 26 points. Phoenix now sits in 10th at 7-7-4. Seven, seven with 25 points and a minus 5 goal differential. It's RGV in 11th at 7, 10, and 4 for 25 points with a minus 8 goal differential. It's Seattle Sounders 2 in 12th, 7, 13, and 2 for 23 points. LA Galaxy 2 in 13th at 5, 12, and 4 for 19 points. Vancouver is in 14th, 4, 11, and 6 for 18 points. And rounding out the standings, is Timbers 2 at 216 and 3 for 9 points. And that wraps up your scores and your schedules for week 22 of the league. I think it's time to get into some, some news and notes of the week uh, for this week. A uh, couple, of, couple of interesting news notes coming out of uh, the league meetings this week uh, in, in Chicago in, in correlation with the MLS All-Star game. Uh, the league announced 
that the schedule for next season will be a 34 game schedule contested over 32 weeks of the season so uh, obviously the introduction of teams for 2018 we know of the two that have been officially announced so far this year we know Nashville will be in next year we know Fresno will definitely be in next year uh, next you know this upcoming week on Friday uh, the USL is going to be in Las Vegas where they will have their official announcement on Friday that that Las Vegas will be playing in 2018. Uh, they'll be playing at Cashman Field uh, outside of the Strip uh, in Vegas. Uh, so I'm sure LFR is is feverishly already planning the Viva Las Vegas trip uh, at least once next year, depending on how many times we'll play Vegas. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure that will be an interesting trip, just as, as this past week's trip to uh, L.A. was for, for the for the supporters group. So, uh, you know, some interesting uh, things going on there. What are your thoughts there, Dominic? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm never opposed to an extra home match. Uh, One thing that might come from this, maybe a secondary effect, is that team depth is going to be more important than ever. And I think that puts us in a really good position because this ownership group is willing to spend the money and bring the players in. Uh, and I think our depth compares very favorably with some of the other independent clubs and the two clubs that are constantly getting guys poached up to the first teams. So I think we're in a good spot for that. Um, and you know what? Growth is always good for the game. You know, I'm a huge fan of growing the league. I know it's still going to be a two-conference system. I think some people were hoping it would be three. But I, I think that's going to happen in time. Um, there was also some rumors that Ottawa Fury might join the Canadian Premier League and we just don't know at the moment. But, hey, whatever grows the game in America, I'm all for it. Um, and I, I don't know if we got to some other stuff coming out of the MLS meetings, but maybe now is a good time. Don Garber specifically mentioned four cities that were energized in the you know recent weeks as far as MLS expansion is concerned. Those cities being Sacramento, Cincinnati, Detroit, and Nashville. And... I know some people were, you know, a little frustrated that he didn't mention us. Maybe, shoot, does this mean we're not getting an MLS? And then there was also some frustration because the uh, the team wasn't able to come out with public renderings or uh, make a public deci- decision regarding the architectural firm for our stadium. Look, none of that really matters. We're still months out from it. And I was actually re-listening to the David Rappaport interview from a few weeks back which you should check out if you have the chance. And he's totally right. When push comes to shove, Don Garber's going to have to look at all the factors, and we are going to have those renderings. We are going to make that decision well in advance of his decision coming in late November, early December. So I don't think you should really read too much into that. I think, if anything, especially a couple of those teams like Detroit and Nashville, he's trying to say, hint, hint, wink, wink, I acknowledge you. Now let's get your bid into shape. Let's let's take it up another notch so that you can actually be part of the conversation. I think that was more of his goal than anything else there. Um, and then, did you want to touch on that Soccer Nation article? Yeah, I was, you know, see, see, you know, and, and obviously this has nothing to do with with our buddy uh, Kyle Kepner, who obviously runs Firebird Rising and also you know does some some reporting for Soccer Nation as well. Uh, had a had another look at 
where everybody stood kind of in the expansion uh pool and 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 had phoenix sitting in the middle of that pool it just kind of surprised me that you know some of their some of their reporting on this article just just isn't jiving you know i mean that i don't know that i don't know if they're just not looking at it i don't know if they're you know just trying to editorialize do you do you want to give any direct quotes there i don't have the article in front of me but i'm going to find it real quick <laughs> yeah i mean just... while, while you find a couple quotes i think what was really surprising to me and i think kyle as well is not only having us at six but they ranked tampa bay at seven and detroit at eight and this article was published on wednesday after the detroit announcement where it looks like they're going to be able to use the wayne county land uh this was something that was being disputed for quite some time and that's a huge boost because the uh cavaliers owner dan gilbert who would be you know in control with a detroit mls franchise he had been pushing for that wayne county land for a long time and so that's actually a huge boost um i was talking with kyle earlier in the week and he was saying oh no we jinxed it uh <laughs> saying that you know phoenix tampa and sacramento were way ahead of the pack i think he thinks that detroit is potentially a lot higher than eight now so it's just it's just very surprising to see phoenix tampa and detroit so low and then san diego and san antonio which seemingly are making no efforts to get mls for the first two teams they're ranked third and fourth i mean i know soccer nation is based out of san diego so maybe they have a little bit of a bias there but yeah that's very just strange yeah i I don't i don't understand san diego's why San Diego is sitting so high on this list when they are having nothing but struggles, even just trying to get a public vote just to talk about the talk about a stadium. I mean, that there right alone should be a, an automatic red flag. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to see that. And as far as San Antonio goes, yeah, I understand that that you know they have their stadium in place right now at Toyota Stadium. We've seen, you know, obviously they will need to make a lot of adjustments if they were to get a, an MLS franchise, especially to their field, first of all, you know. But, you know, we, we don't know where their ownership group sits as far as wanting to be a part of MLS. So, I mean, that to me screams, you know, red flags right there. And you look at the Phoenix Rising bid and you just keep thinking about it. Public money, no public money necessary for this stadium. The stadium already has has a site re- shovel ready to go. You know, they sit there and now the argument is that you know, according to the Soccer Nation article, that you know the ar- the argument by Phoenix's bid group is that they don't have to build a dome stadium despite sitting in a desert. That the dry air means an open air stadium being properly built will be safe enough to sit and play in sounds a bit like Qatar's original claim that they could build an air-conditioned open stadium for 2022 World Cup. I mean, come on. I mean, do you really sit there and think that we're not thinking about how to do this right? I mean, to me, that's just so asinine. Yeah, compare us to a freaking disaster of a country that's exploiting, exploiting thousands of workers to build their stadiums. I mean, just the connotation that's implied with that comparison, I, 
you know, that's ridiculous. Um, you know, one thing I think that is important to talk about as well is a lot of times people talk about what market deserves an MLS franchise more. I think you of these 12 cities, I bet you 9 or 10 of them deserve an MLS team. And I think it's very important to stay away from that deserving kind of conversation. Because like Rappaport said, Don Garber doesn't care which market deserves a team more. He cares about which market and which ownership group puts all the pieces of a bid together best. And when you look at it from that perspective, I don't see how Phoenix shouldn't be in the top four. But that's not our decision to make. So, Definitely agree. It's not our decision to make. And obviously that decision will be made sometime within the next three to four months because if I remember hearing right out of the All-Star game, they did want to make a mid-December decision as to the first two franchises. And obviously, you know, everybody knows that Miami's bid is now pretty much guaranteed to be going forward now, now that they have the land and everything taken care of. So, you know, obviously LA and Miami will be those, you know, those, those two that obviously were already planned. Then you've got the next two teams coming in December. And then you'd have the following two teams the year after that. Interesting though. I don't know if you saw this week too, that an interesting note that came out of the meetings is that uh, the owner of, the Miami FC team in NASL tried to put together a $4 billion uh, TV bid uh, for MLS. But the interesting caveat to that was there needed to be some sort of promotion relegation tied to that $4 billion proposal. So obviously the league shot that down pretty quickly. Interesting that, that we saw something like that come out of the meetings as well. Yeah, and uh, you know what? Am I open to the idea of ProRel? Absolutely. Am I open to his idea for ProRel? No. It's obviously self-serving. He's an NASL owner. He doesn't want to be squeezed out if the MLS moves to Miami. And MLS can see right through that. I also don't think it's realistic to have ProRel right now. I've, I've had this position before, and I'll say it again. Until our second division teams can get 10,000 plus fans on average to matches and until they can get a game of the week on an ESPN or an ESPN2 and get really good streaming deals internationally as well until we get that kind of revenue generation it just doesn't make sense for us to have ProRel because you have to look at it from the MLS owner's perspective why do they want to risk that kind of money if you get relegated and all of a sudden you're only drawing 4,000 fans and you're not generating money and your investment just goes down the down the toilet. So, I mean, that's all I got to say on that. Um, do you have anything to add there? Well, you know, and I think the interesting interesting thing when you talk about pro rel as well is is the fact that I you know this country is is not really used to pro rel yet. I don't think they under, they fully understand the concept. If you're a soccer fan, sure you know how pro rel works. You you know that's that's real simple. But to try to sell a market that may not be sending 65, 70% of their fans uh, to a soccer match, you know, it's, it's, how, you know, how do you, how do you sell a fan? How do you sell a fan on pro rel? It, it's tough to, to explain it to them, 
you know, and say, hey, one year you could be in the top league, the next year you may not be in the top league. How do you sell that to the casual soccer fan that wants professional sports? And if you're telling them that you're coming out to watch a second division team, uh, you may not get them back. So I think that's where Pro Rel struggles in this league or in this country. And, And I think, you know, will it come eventually? Maybe, you know, like you said. You know, it's it's got to be the right system. It's got to be the right setup, and 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 obviously, years down the line, we'll see where it's at. But I don't think pro rel is a big thing right now. Right, and it, and you're right that it comes down to the casual fan. I like to give it the ESPN ticker test. Until second division games are on the ESPN ticker, until they are consistently getting coverage on ESPN News and Sports Center, it's not going to happen. So that's 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 where I'm at. Maybe in 15 years we're there, but we're not there today. Yeah, I agree. We're definitely not there. So do we want to go to closing thoughts? Yeah, we'll get into some closing thoughts. Um, great effort by the boys this week. I mean, I think they're starting to realize and know where they're at at this point, knowing where they're at at the season. We talked about, you know, we talked about in previous episodes, we talked about the dog days of summer and how important, you know, it was going to be, you know, got through some tough matches got got some good points we're starting to hit that point in the season now where every match really matters and i think you saw that the effort from the boys saturday night was definitely uh one that they can definitely build on as they go through you know not only just the rest of this road trip but the rest of the season obviously september is going to be a huge month when you look at it with uh seven games on the schedule that is definitely going to be you know, something that's going to be huge as we walk down the stretch. Um, definitely a shout out to, to the fans that made the trip down to LA. It's, it's very important, you know, to see that your supporters definitely want to be involved with you. I mean, I know Monica McPherson has all year long been, been traveling to games, whether it's going to Reno, whether it's going to Kansas city to watch Swope, whether it's going to Oklahoma, you know, to see them play, you know, you know, it's obviously nice to, to go on the road and to see a, a familiar face to, to, to make you feel good. But, you know, you know, big props to the LFR guys for putting a couple of vans together and making the trip down to LA. It was great to see them in the crowd. Great. To, you know, great to see them, you know, there. And I know they're planning, I'm sure to, to head to orange County uh, in a couple of weeks to go back to see their new facility you know, don't know how many of them are going to make the trip to RGV this week, but just just the fact that, that they're making the travels shows the dedication of, of that group, and uh, it's great to see, and I'm sure the boys are loving it and are using that to their advantage as they go down the stretch. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's really great that you highlighted the, the fan commitments. Uh, my final point will probably be more of a team-oriented one. Uh it's just so beautiful to see the the boys just finally put it all together because we've known all season that we're capable of having matches like this and I was hoping that they would come sooner but you know what it's okay because if we can start running matches off like this we're going to be in great shape and we'll be perfectly fine come the playoffs you know you just hope that this wasn't a flash in the pan uh but I I I have a feeling that we're going to build off of this um but just how amazing did it feel to finally have that perfect match 
so to speak. You know, Waz coming in for a spot start gets the shutout. Rigi back from injury scores the goal. You know, we're just killing him on the counter attack. Peter Ramage looking good in in the middle. Everyone playing a role. AJ Gray gets it on the field for some time. Everyone played their part, and it was beautiful. And you know, hopefully, this is the start of that, and not just a random match in August against a uh, a bottom feeder Western Conference team. But um, you know, what an incredible couple hours on Saturday, regardless of how the rest of the season turns out. And my goodness, that Drogba goal was just purely sublime. Just class. <laughs> if you haven't showed it to everyone you know, do that now. <laughs> and uh, I think unless you have anything to add... Uh, I think it's time to wrap up this week's episode. <laughs> all right, well, thank you all for listening very much. Uh, we really appreciate it. We will be back on next Sunday following the RGB match. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to get any interviews. We had kind of been on a streak there. We're going to do our very best to get back on that train, get someone or maybe even a couple really nice interviews because I think that's what we need to do to take this show to the next step. Almost forgot to do an ad read, too. Uh, Oro Brewing Company, um, they've supported us. And since Phoenix Rising won their last match, just come in any time during the week. Give that rising keyword and you will get happy hour pricing. Oro Brewing Company is out in Mesa right by Country Club Road, pretty close to the downtown Mesa scene. So if you're out in the East Valley, give it a shot. Why not? Uh, We really appreciate the support from them. Uh, But that's going to do it. So thank you for listening. Have a great week, everybody.